Please stand for the reading of God's word. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 2 through 13. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble... Trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit, or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place, and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. This is the word of God. Am I on? All right, y'all. Our passage today is about power. Everyone say power. Now, this topic is important because you have power. Look at your neighbor and say, you have power. Every single one of us has power. Now, you may think, I don't have a lot of power. Well, you don't have to say that, but you may think that. But when I say power, I just mean the ability to do stuff. So you have the ability to do stuff. Now, that means that, Morgan, you have power, and Greg, you have power, and Lily, you have power, and Isaiah, you have power. We all have power. We have the ability to do stuff. But we also live in a world in which other people have more power than us. And we need to know how to relate to those people. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about power, and this passage in Ecclesiastes will help us to understand power better. But before we jump into our text, I want to talk a little bit about what the Bible says about God and power. You with me? What the Bible says about God and power. Now, the first thing to say, the first thing I want to say is that God has all the power. Everybody say, God has all the power. Now, this is what the whole Bible says. Here are some Bible verses just to make that point. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, we hear God speaking. And when God speaks, we need to listen. And he says this, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Do you hear that? I am God Almighty, all might, all power is God's. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6, 
we hear a king of Israel who has power. He's a good king, has a lot of power, a lot of influence. But he says this to God. He says, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. You hear what this king is saying? I have power, but God, you have multiplicity of power compared to me. You have power over all the nations. Everybody say, God has all the power. God has all the power. Psalm 62 verse 11 says simply, power belongs to God. Jeremiah 32 verse 27. Listen to the, the words of God. It says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? You know, the, the rhetorical answer there is no. Nothing is too difficult for God. God has all the power. Matthew 6.13, many of you sing this at Bible study during the week or some of you pray this at night before you go to bed. We say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. forever. Do you hear that? God has all the power and not just now. He has all the power forever. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said this, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God does what God wants because God has all the power. Everybody say God has all the power. God has all the power. Now, the second thing to say is God uses his power for good. Everyone say God uses his power. God uses his power. For good. For good. Sometimes it's hard to trust somebody who has A lot of power. But the reason we can trust God is because God is good. Amen? Amen. God all the time. And all the time, God is good. Therefore, he always uses his power for good. Or you could say it this way. God only does good with his power. Or you could say it this way. Everything God does shows how good he is. The Bible is filled with passages that make this point. But I wanted to point out one. Listen to the words of Psalm chapter 145, verse 17. You might write that down and go back and study it later. But listen to these words. Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Not some of his ways. Not one of his ways. All of his ways. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all his works. This means that God always does what is Right and good and just. He always, he's always kind in the ways he uses his power. God is good. And so everything he does with his power is good. So everyone say God has all the power. God has all the power. Everyone say God uses his power for good. God uses his power for good. The third thing we want to say is that God gives us power. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got power. You've got power. Now, the very first words that God uses, he gives to his people, is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God made us in his image and he gave us power, which means that we're supposed to use our power for good, just like he does. But often... 
We use our power for evil because of sin. We could go to a lot of stories in the Bible to see this, but even just earlier, a few weeks ago in Ecclesiastes, we saw this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we read these words about the oppressed. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. See, sin in our hearts can make us do really destructive things with power. Take it, amen? It's a sober amen, isn't it? And this is a big problem. I'm going to give you a spoiler. The answer to this problem is Jesus. We're going to talk about that a little later. Only Jesus can help us become people who use our power to honor God and bless other people. Now, what Ecclesiastes, our text today, is helping us to consider is how to live wisely as people with power who live in a world with a lot of other people who have power. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So now we're going to zoom in to look at what our text, Ecclesiastes 8, has to teach us about this theme of power. And the first thing we can notice is that this text really emphasizes something Chauncey has already hinted at. Namely, human power can be used in ways that are creative, meaning they promote life. They promote the flourishing of God's good creation or humans can use power in a way that is destructive. Both of those are happening in this text, and this text is helping us to think about both of those reality. Now, in Ecclesiastes 8, the emphasis really falls on warning us about the destructive misuse of power. But one of the places that we see a hint for the positive potential of power is in verse 2. So look with me again at your text. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 2. Should be in your bulletin right at the top of the text there. It says, I say, keep the king's command. Because of God's oath to him. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Or the Hebrew is a little funny here. It could be translated. Keep the king's command because you took an oath before God. Now, whichever one of those ways we translate it, that verse is going to feel weird to us. One, because we don't have a king. And two, because we're like, what's all this stuff about the oath? So we got to think about what it would have been like to read these words for the ancient Israelites. Okay, remember, we're not the first people to read this book of Ecclesiastes. It was written a long, long time ago. And for the ancient Israelites, when they read this text, they would be either living under one of the heirs of good King David. Or if if they read it after exile, they would be hoping and praying for God to restore the dynasty of King David. Now, to understand that, we got to understand God made an oath. He made a promise He made a covenant to David and said to David, I want you and your children to walk in my ways and do my will. And I'll make you and your children king in Israel forever. And God had a covenant that is a relationship based on promises, based on oaths with his people. And we're the the people of Israel. were supposed to honor God. And part of that meant being loyal to King David and his descendants. And if everybody did what they were supposed to do in that situation, they would all live under the law of God, which means King David would and his descendants, Solomon and all the ones after him, would have used their power always to bless others. They would always protect the vulnerable. They would defend the widow and the fatherless and the orphan. They would use their power for good, building good roads and taking care of people. Right. And. If all the people of Israel 
respected their legitimate authority and did what God said to do, there would be no civil wars. There would be no conflicts. There wouldn't be the ongoing struggle for power that characterizes so much of life today and which, in fact, characterized most of the history of Israel because they didn't usually do what God said. Now, we, we live in a different situation, but there's a principle here which is taught consistently throughout Scripture, which is there are legitimate authority figures and they're supposed to use their power to bless others and everybody else is supposed to respect that. So we can get an example of this by just thinking about parents and children. We got a few parents in the room. If your parent make a little whoop or something. Okay. God gave you power. He gave you authority in your household. And that authority is not for you. That authority is for you to use to bless and care for your children, to nurture their lives, to teach them God's ways through your words and your actions, to lovingly, graciously discipline them, to stick with them through hard times. And children, we got some kids in the room. All the kids say, whoop. Y'all were listening. Good job, kids. The Bible says to you, honor your parents, obey your parents, that it may go well with you. And even if we think about the situation of civil authorities, listen, we don't live under King David. But if we go to our New Testament, we'll find passages like first Peter, chapter two or Romans, chapter 13, which are written to people who were living under the pagan Roman Empire. This empire had all sorts of corruption. And yet these passages tell the Christian community for the sake of God, respect the civil authority. And the Bible tells the civil authority to use its power to bless people. So that's how it's supposed to work. But the problem is that people often use their power wrong. So we've been talking about the creative use of power. Everybody say power can help. Power can help. But here's the flip side. Because of sin, everybody say power can hurt. Power can hurt. Now we see that in verse nine. Look down at verse nine. It says this. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. See those words? Man had power over man to his hurt. Now, it's not hard to find examples of that reality in the world, is it? Parents who are supposed to bless their kids misuse that power and hurt their kids. Teachers who are supposed to take care of their students misuse the power and hurt their students. Governments that are supposed to bless and serve their people use the people for their own benefit and hurt people. That's true all over the world. If we're going to live as faithful followers of Jesus, we need to learn how to live in this tension of the fact that human power can help and it's necessary and it's part of life, but it can also hurt. Now, one of the people I think who can really help us with this is a Christian psychologist named Diane Langberg. She's really helpful on this point because she spent several decades studying the dynamics of power. She started out by focusing in her counseling ministry on people who had been abused physically or in other ways. They'd been hurt by the misuse of power. Eventually, she would study and work with Holocaust survivors, people who had been traumatized by genocide in places like Cambodia and Rwanda. So she saw the devastating effects of misused power up close and personal. And she had a counseling practice in the inner city for years. But also... She did not conclude that the answer was to say power is evil and get rid of power. The opposite, she said, the answer is that good people need to learn how to use their power for good like God does. Now, she wrote a book about this that came out just a few weeks ago called Redeeming Power. And I'm going to read you a little bit from that book. 
She, she tells a little story. She describes a scenario that can help us think. And it's about a brand new newborn baby named Sarah and her parents. So I want you to imagine this scene with me. Are you ready? Listen to these words. Sarah is tiny and very frail, only four days old. She knows nothing about herself or the world in which she has landed. She has no words. She cannot effectively use her body to go anywhere. And yet something does not feel right. She doesn't know what is wrong or why it is wrong or how to tend to her own distress alone and in the dark. She cries and she has power. Now, some of you in the room are thinking, how could this little four day old baby have power? And that's proof that you do not have children, (laughs) because listen to what she's about to say. She has power. How do you know? The quote continues Two exhausted sleeping adults jolted from their comfortable bed and much need a rest quickly head toward the cry. She has disrupted two people who can use words, who know what they want as well as what she needs and who can move their bodies as they choose. They understand the tiny ones cry and respond, tossing aside how they feel. These are good parents, along with their preference for sleep. They choose to get up. And comfort the little one and feed her with attention, love and milk. In comparison to Sarah, these adults wield an astounding amount of power and they choose to use their power to bless her with care. Now, keep listening. Listen to how Diane Langberg reflects on this little story. She says, by our sheer presence in the world, we, God's image bearers, have power. That's what Chauncey told you a minute ago. We all have power. The four day old infant has the power to rouse independent grown ups out of a greatly desired and much needed sleep. The reverse is also true. Those grown ups have obvious power over the infant. They can respond with attention and care or with anger at being disturbed. They can withhold care and respond with neglect and silence. The infant influences the adults. The adult responses affect the child. Now, listen to this. sentence. this is important. The power of the vulnerable infant to express her needs exposes the hearts of the more powerful adults. Can parents give me an amen on that? The adult responses affect the child. The power of the vulnerable. uh, I already read that. Okay. over time, their habituated response to the infant shapes not only the infant's personhood, but also the hearts of the adults. Our responses to the vulnerable expose who we are. This is an important principle to keep in mind as we consider the use and misuse of power. Now, I read that long quote from Diane Langberg because there's some really important and real and relevant principles here. First one, every human being, no matter how small, has power. Okay, everybody's got power. Jesus gave you some power, but the power is really his. Remember, Chauncey read a second ago, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. So whatever power I have really belongs to Jesus and he wants me to use it for his purposes to bless and serve other people. But second point here, power is unevenly distributed. Some people have much more power than others. Third point here, human flourishing depends upon the proper use of power. This is so important. So listen up. You need to hear this part of the sermon. Misusing our power destroys life. Okay, that's what we call abuse and oppression. But it's also true that failing to use our power for good destroys life. 
That's what we call neglect. So if you if you're nervous about power and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to abuse my power, so I'm going to just go back to my room and chill. You don't get out of it that way. If you fail to use your power, you're complicit with those who are misusing their power. You're a destroyer of life. Do you hear that? The only way to properly steward the God given gift of power that every human being has is to use it to bless people, to resist evil and to promote the flourishing of others. Which leads to our final point. The ways that we use power and respond to power reveal a lot about our hearts. The last point Diane Langberg could use. Now, before we move on from this little part in Ecclesiastes, I want to encourage you, maybe even challenge you right now, to ask some self-reflective questions. I'm going to give you a few questions. You might want to jot these down, or you might just want to listen and pray the Holy Spirit to help you think about these right now. But here's some questions I would encourage you to think about. What kinds of power do I have? What kinds of power do I have? And I want to help you think about that one for a second, because, listen, we're on the eve of a big political election and a lot of us are feeling powerless. I can't change laws in Congress and I feel like my vote doesn't even matter. But we're thinking too narrowly if we just think about political power. Let me talk to you about some other kinds of power. Just a few that Diane Langberg mentions in her book. Verbal power. Okay, your words can bless and heal people. Your words can also hurt and destroy people. That's true. You have verbal power. Emotional power. Your emotions affect the emotions of other people. Your empathy or your anger. You're responsible for how you use that. Physical power. Some of us are bigger and stronger and faster than others. Some of us are slow. Specialized knowledge. That's a kind of power. If you've been to school, if you have some training... That gives you influence over the lives of others in significant ways. Positions of authority. So if you're a shift manager at work or if you lead a community group at church or whatever, that's a kind of power. Economic power. Even if you only got 20 bucks, you can do stuff with that 20 bucks. You can buy 20 burritos. You can buy some new clothes. You could give to someone in need. You could support missions. A lot of things you could do. Spiritual power. You could pray for people. You could share God's word. There's there's lots of different kinds of power. So ask yourself the question, what kinds of power do I have? And then ask yourself, how can I use my power to bless others? And are there ways that I'm using my power now that is actually hurting people? Second set of questions. What kinds of power do the people around me have? How should I relate to people who have authority in my life? How can I be a blessing to those who have legitimate authority in my life? And if I see people misusing their power in a way that affects me or affects others, what does God want me to do about it? Now, for that last set of questions, we need some more wisdom for Ecclesiastes, which Chauncey is going to help us with. We've been hearing about the difference between creative and oppressive power. And we're talking now about how to relate to those who are in power. How do I relate to the powerful And the sage answers this in verses three through six by saying, basically saying this. Respect authority. Everyone say respect authority. authority. Now, these verses are giving some very specific instructions to someone who's probably serving as a courtier or a messenger, someone who stands in the king's court. Now, we're not in that context, but the principle of respecting authority is very relevant for us today. Now, before we Jump into that idea. I do want to read these verses for you. Look with me in your text at Ecclesiastes 8, verses 3 through 6. 
Be not hasty to go from his presence. Talking about the king. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for he, the king, does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. Now, what we learn from these verses is that when you approach someone with who has power, you need to practice and demonstrate respect for their authority. There's a proper time and a just way to address them. Now, in verse two, we saw John Mark showed us that when you respect that we respect legitimate authority because it's the right thing to do. In these verses, we see that you also respect authority because if you do, you might even have an opportunity to influence that authority. Now, to do this, to know how to influence people in authority, how to influence those who have power over us, we really need prudence. We really need discretion. We really need wisdom to know the proper way to speak and the proper way to behave. Now, a couple of examples might make this idea plain. All right, ready for a couple of examples? We're going to go back to our family home illustration. Now, I want to get to the context of children and parents. So I want you to imagine this with me. Imagine you're in a home with some parents and a child. Imagine you're sitting with them as they finish up dinner. Imagine the parent tells the child, all right, we finished with dinner. It's time to go brush your teeth. The parents have power and they're using that power to help the child practice hygiene and keep their teeth. But the child also has power. He or she has the ability to respond. So if this child says, no, I don't want to brush my teeth. I already brushed my teeth this morning. I don't need to brush my teeth. Besides, I want to pray with my truck. I want to crash my truck into the couch. Now, that's one way to respond. Now, we got the question, why is that not a wise response? A couple reasons. One, it's not wise because it's wrong. God says, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is not right. Sorry, for this is right. This is right. <laughs> and last time I checked, brushing your teeth is in contrary to the commands of God. So obeying your parents and this is, is right. It's also not wise because it's not prudent. It's not going to get the child what he wants. Now imagine this. Imagine if the child were to say, Mommy, Daddy, thank you so much for caring for me by asking me to brush my teeth. I would love to do what you're asking, but may I have three minutes to play with my truck in the living room before I get to brush my teeth? Now, that's going to get, make for a much different evening than the previous scenario, right? That's my son. They might still say, no, you can't. But they might change their mind. They might give you a chance to play with the truck. But here's the point. Respecting legitimate authority is both right and it's more likely, may not completely do it, but more likely to influence that authority. You feel me? See what I'm saying? So, 
we need wisdom. We need prudence in dealing with those who have more, more power than us. Now, that's a low stakes example for most of us. Some of us is a pretty high stakes example. But I want to talk a little bit about a more high stakes example. Imagine you're driving down 240 and you're late for an appointment or church. You look down and you see that instead of going 60, you're going 75. And you look up and you see a motorcycle with a man next to it with a laser pointed at you that's going down quickly. Imagine that and quickly that person gets on their motorcycle, turns on their lights and then flags you. Now, this police officer is likely using his power to help. You are a danger to other motorists, and he's enforcing the consequences of that engagement. But you have a choice. When the officer comes to your window, you can either treat the officer with respect, or you can treat the officer with disrespect. Respect might look like keeping your hands on the steering wheel. Respect might be using sir, using ma'am, staying calm, doing what they ask. Disrespect could be any number of things. And the way you respond... The way you respond could have a significant impact on what happens. Now, I want to speak soberly about this because if the last few months haven't, the last few years haven't taught us, the last few months have taught us that um, in the history of the United States, all too often We've experienced situations in which officers have used their power to violate the constitutional rights of certain individuals. Maybe because of the color of their skin. Maybe because of their legal status. Maybe because they're just in the way of progress. So the question is, what do you do then? Is that an excuse that then disrespect authority? Now, I wish I had a specific list of things to do in that situation. I don't. I don't have a list of things that if you do this every time, it's going to turn out well. What I do know is that what history has shown us is that when people respond to the abuse of power with destructive power instead of creative power, things often get worse, not better. hard to talk about. But this is why the leaders of the civil rights movement advocated for an ethic of love instead of an ethic of hate. They sought to conquer hate with love, not with further hate. I want you to listen to the words of Dr. King. In an article entitled Walk for Freedom, which he um, wrote, speaking about Montgomery, I want you to hear what he said about this. This is a situation in which all the time People are denied their constitutional rights. All the time, people are abusing their power or neglecting to constructively use their power. And here's what he said. He said, this is a spiritual movement, and we intend to keep these things in the forefront. We know that violence will defeat our purpose. We know that in our struggle in America and in our specific struggle here in Montgomery, Violence will not only be impractical, but immoral. Impractical, but immoral. We are outnumbered. We do not have access to the instruments of violence. 
So he's saying it's impractical. But even more than that, he says, not only is violence impractical, but it is immoral. For it is my firm conviction that to seek to retaliate with violence does nothing but intensify the existence of evil and hate in the universe. Hear what he's saying? He's going back to what we said about, it's not just a question of, is it right to do that? It's a question of, does it work? And neither one of them are right. It's not right to disrespect authority, but neither, neither does it work. And here's what he finishes by saying. He says, along the way of life, someone must have sense enough and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate and evil. The greatest way to do that is through love. I believe firmly that love is a transforming power that can lift the whole community to new horizons of fair play, goodwill, and justice. What King is saying is that the only way forward, the only way to dismantle a system of oppression is through love. It's not through further hate. King was saying that the disrespect of violence was both impractical and immoral, but love is a creative force that can promote life and justice. Respect authority. Now, the stage not only tells us to respect authority, he also says, know your limits. Everybody say, know your limits. limits. Listen, all human power is limited. We don't have the power to break the future. We don't have the power to control what the powers over us will do. We don't have the power to determine whether we're going to live or die. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. Look back at your bulletin. Verses 7 and 8 say, For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Listen, people don't know what is going to happen five minutes from now, much less they know what's going to happen next year. You and me don't know that stuff. We can't control whether or not we get drafted. That's what he means in verse 8. You can't have no, no discharge from war. But we can even think about that in our context. If you get jury duty, you can't get out of it. It's a really good reason. Now, you certainly can't control when you're going to die. There is a limit to our power. Even if we respect authority, there's no guarantee that the authority is going to treat you right. Now, the reality is there's even a limit to their power. Even the most powerful people in the world are limited in what they can do. The most basic need that we have, most basic need that we have is to stay alive. And even the most powerful person in the world can't save you from death. Amen? We have some good health care providers in the room. Layla can't save you from death. Reed, show can't save you from death. Zaparsh can't save you from death. Marissa can't save you from death. In a world where power can hurt, in a world where human power is limited, we need a power that is bigger than any other human power to save us from our most basic but our biggest problems. That's what we'll talk about next. Guys, we've been talking about some heavy stuff, haven't we? As so often has been the case in the book of Ecclesiastes, it is possible to get discouraged while thinking about this stuff. Ecclesiastes helps us face the hard realities of life honestly. And it would be easy to get discouraged here, but thankfully the end of this text is going to help us to move towards hope. And what's our reason for hope? So everybody say hope. Hope. We've already seen a few reasons to be sober and possibly to get discouraged. People often misuse their power in a way that hurts others. Even when we try to use our power for good, it's very limited. 
And then verses 10 through 13 add some extra reasons. But then they point us to a power which is greater than every human power, which is where we get to end today. First, I want you to look with me at verses 10 and 11. Look at this. Continuing on the theme of the misuse of power says, then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Now, in these verses, the sage is saying there's a lot of wicked people doing whatever they want and getting away with it. He says, I've seen wicked people live for years, exploiting other people, hurting other people, but they're so successful. They go in and out of the holy place, meaning they're religious. They go to church and nobody checks their power. Those other people who have power are supposed to use their power to hold the wicked accountable, but they don't. And because they don't, everybody else thinks we can get away with it, too. And injustice proliferates. It spreads. But then there's a turn in verses 12 and 13. Look at this. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Now, those are two of our key words in Ecclesiastes. Everybody say fear God. Fear God. It means respecting God, trusting God. And because we trust and respect and love God, hating everything that is evil and that would offend God. It will go well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. What it's saying is this. There is a day of justice coming. That's right. Human beings have imperfect power and we often misuse our power. Those who have power are supposed to use it for justice, but they don't. But there is a day of justice coming That's right. because there is a God in the universe whose power is limitless and whose justice is perfect. So it's saying those who fear the Lord, God will reward even if society doesn't. And those who choose evil, God will hold accountable, even if society doesn't. Now, this should make us hopeful and this should make us tremble. It should make us hopeful because it's good news that evil doesn't win forever in the universe. Aren't you glad about that? Wickedness will not win. Evil and division and violence and all the stuff that we hate that makes life miserable is not going to last forever. Because God's justice is perfect. But this should also make us tremble because as Ecclesiastes has reminded us repeatedly, the line between good and evil runs down the middle of each of our souls. Which means when God's perfect justice comes, if we get what we deserve, we're in trouble. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you're not aware of any of your other sins, just think about what the Holy Spirit might have touched your heart about today. At times, all of us have used our power. If nothing else, we've used our words in a way that hurt people. And all of us have failed to use our power to help others when we could have. So if we get what we deserve, that's a problem. We need not only God's power and justice, we also need God's mercy. Which is why our only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody say it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. In Jesus, we find God, the all-powerful one, come, coming among us. And he shows us the perfect example of how to use our power to bless and serve others. Jesus feeds the hungry. Jesus heals the sick. He casts out demons. He raises the dead. He always uses his power for good. And then on the cross, Jesus is God himself 
bearing the consequence for our sin, including bearing the consequences for every time you and I have misused our power or failed to use it to help others. He took the blame. He got what we deserve so that we wouldn't have to get that punishment. And then he rose from the grave, defeating the enemy we could not defeat. Death. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. And he promises to return in glory and in power to make all things new. And that's going to be a day not only of justice, but a day of mercy. In which evil is defeated forever. But every sinner like you and me who has turned from sin to trust in Jesus Christ and said, I believe in you, have mercy on my soul, will be forgiven. Now, friends, we're about to go to the Lord's table. But I want you to hear the message of this text in a very personal way before we finish. If you have misused your power in a way that's hurt others, or if you failed to use your power in a way that you should have to help other people, the good news of the gospel is just confess that to Jesus and he will forgive you. He will cleanse you and he will even embrace you in his love. Isn't that good news? Nothing will be able to separate you from his love. But not only that, when you trust in Jesus, he not only forgives you, he not only cleanses you, but now he empowers you by the Holy Spirit to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. To demonstrate a kind of countercultural power that the forgiven people of God become the kind of people who say we're going to use our words and we're going to use our lives and everything that we have to bless other people for the glory of God in a way that shows people the light of Jesus Christ. That's the invitation of the gospel. So as we go to the Lord's table now, let's bow our heads and I just want to be quiet for a moment to give you a second to pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to speak to you. Anything that he might be saying to you about right now, how you can come to Jesus in response to this text. And I'm going to pray for you. Most high God, we praise you for being not only almighty, but also good, just and merciful. Forgive us for our many, many, many sins, Lord. We have all hurt other people and we've all failed to help others when we could have. Have mercy on us, Lord, in Jesus name. And I pray not only that you would forgive us, but that your spirit would give us a new power and energy and zeal and wisdom. Lord, by your grace, until we get to come home to heaven and be with you, would you make us a people who are zealous to take whatever power we've got and use it to do good for your glory? As we come to the Lord's table now, refresh our hearts with the truth of the gospel. Convict of sin, but don't let let us stop there. Energize us with love to follow in the way of Jesus. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.